Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The U.S. war in Afghanistan, which just wrapped up last week and we had the 20th anniversary of 9-11 over the weekend. The U.S. war in Afghanistan is the third most expensive U.S. foreign war ever. And that's adjusted for inflation. World War II... Um, is in there, but also in the top three, the war in Iraq. So the two wars launched out of 9-11, Afghanistan and Iraq, are two of the three most expensive wars we've ever fought, the other being World War II. Were the wars worth it? Uh, survey question asking USA Today. Overall, for Afghanistan, 35% of Americans say it was worth it. Only 35%. If you're talking about the totality of the thing, uh, i got to say not worth it. I mean, the first part of it, when we had the Taliban on their knees and they were begging for some sort of uh, surrender treaty, that part was worth it. But the rest of it, nah. Even among Republicans, it's upside down. 42% worth it, 57% not worth it. So Afghanistan, we've deemed not worth it. Iraq, overall, 34% say it was worth it. Even a majority of Republicans, 53%, say Iraq was not worth it. So two of the three most expensive wars we've ever fought, and the two wars that came out of 9-11, we now think, by a lot, and both parties, it wasn't worth it. So that's kind of interesting on its own. Um, we probably should have more clear-cut objectives that we can reach or something, and... Not get into wars unless we really think it's a good idea. I, uh. Yeah, I was reading about this over the weekend, and it was really interesting how modern warfare has become so much less destructive and so much less cruel than it used yeah, to be. Yeah. And how that prolongs wars in a lot of different ways. And then they got into the fact that War in the past was governments fighting each other. And if you smashed the one government, it would give up. And they'd put in a new government, and you'd be at peace. These days, it's mostly about non-governmental actors. And so who ends it? Who decides when it's over? How how, how do you start anew? And so, yeah, the whole concept of war, I think, is changing in a way that we, we need a new vo- vocabulary, new way to look at it. So all that leads us to this. Evan Hill of the New York Times, who broke this story of the weekend. The final act of the U.S. war in Afghanistan was a drone strike in Kabul that killed 10 people. And our latest investigation shows how a man the military saw as an imminent threat, an ISIS facilitator, was actually an aid worker returning to his family. Now, whenever we hit anybody, or Israel hits anybody in the Middle East, you always get a lot of reports out of the Middle East of how it was a wedding party or it was a cleric or there was a bunch of kids killed. And sometimes it turns out the reason there was a bunch of kids killed is a freaking ISIS member hangs out in hospitals or schools because they think it will protect them. They do that. Or the, sort of the thing PR will be so horrific for the West if they get hit, it'll be worth it. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what happened here. So this story initially broke. Well, set it up again. So you remember we had 13 U.S. servicemen and women killed there at the Kabul airport. Absolutely horrible. Joe Biden comes out that day and says, 
We will find you. We will make you pay. We will never forgive. We'll never forget. And the next day, there was a drone strike on a car. You heard about it. And the uh, the Biden administration was able to say, look, we got them already. We got somebody already. In this particular case, it was somebody that uh, had a car bomb. It was a planning an attack on the Kabul airport. Could have killed so many people. Hell, they were on their way to use it, is what I heard. I'm thinking there was a lot of pressure on the military to get somebody so it could look like we're fighting back because people were really unhappy with the Biden administration that particular 24-hour period. Well, reading on from Evan Hill in the New York Times and his reporting, Washington Post backs this up, by the way. The military said it believed Zamari Ahmadi's white Toyota Corolla, which it tracked by drone for eight hours that day, was packed with explosives. Security camera video, and I'm looking at it right here, that we obtained at the New York Times showed him loading it with water containers for his home. Amadi was a 14-year employee of Nutrition and Educational International, U.S. NGO, out of California that fights malnutrition. He helped start up soy factories, repair machinery, transport his colleagues, and distribute food from his Corolla to displaced Afghans. On August 29th, according to his family and colleagues, it was a normal day for Amadi. He left home around 9 a.m., picked up two colleagues in his boss's laptop, stopped for breakfast, breakfast, and then headed to the office in a nearby neighborhood. But the U.S. military was on high alert. Three days earlier, an Islamic State suicide attack had killed 13 troops. All threat warnings were flashing red. A senior official told us they expected another attack. So at around the time that Amadi was picking up his colleagues, the U.S. military said it observed a white sedan emerge from an Islamic State safe house near Amadi's home, northwest of the airport. Intercepted communications from the safe house gave the sedan instructions, they said. But, uh, interviewing five men who were in the car with Amadi that day, they said that what the military interpreted as a series of suspicious moves represented a typical day in his life. He drove his colleagues around town where they made plans for food distributions. The office security camera that the New York Times obtained is crucial to understand what happens next. Um, they verified his time by visiting the office, matched what they see on the camera with timestamp satellite imagery. At 2.35, Amadi and his colleague filled several large plastic containers with water. The footage shows Amadi bring them to the office earlier that day. His brother told us his neighborhood suffered from a water shortage and that he routinely filled up containers at the office to take home to him for himself and neighbors. At 3.38 p.m., a colleague drives Amadi's car further into the office driveway at roughly that time, the military said the drone team saw Amadi's car pull into an unknown compound, 8 to 12 kilometers southwest of the airport. The location of the unknown compound overlaps with, overlaps with the location of the NGO's office. Again, that's a non-governmental operation that distributes food and that sort of stuff. Ba- based out of California? Based out of California, so they interviewed the, the company. unknown complex. Yeah, so they interviewed the company and, and uh, confirmed that this guy worked for him and what he did and what his schedule was like and what his background was like and all that sort of stuff. The military told the New York Times that they only saw the white sedan at one location that afternoon and that we believe what the military called an unknown compound was, in fact, the NGO's office. With the workday ending, an employee switches off the office generator and the camera goes dark. The military said it now saw four men load wrapped packages into the car. Amadi's colleagues said they were stowing laptop bags, which the footage shows uh, shows here earlier in the day. Amadi drops his colleagues off and turns onto his street. His and his brother's children surround the car, relatives said. The family has a habit of letting kids steer the car into the courtyard of their home, just like I used to do when I'd get home with my kids when they were littler. They'd get to drive my truck the rest Mm -hmm. of the way into our farm. 
Somehow the military said the drone team sees none of this. The drone team hasn't been watching Amadi's home at all. They quickly scanned the courtyard, an official told us, and they only see an adult male talking to the driver. Fearing the car, which they believe has explosives, will soon head to the airport, they fire. The decision to strike does not flow down from the typical chain of command, according to the New York Times, because of the chaos that the Kabul airport evacuation had caused. President Biden and the military have delegated the authority to approve airstrikes to much lower-level commanders. A Reaper drone fires a 20-pound Hellfire missile at the car. The military says that the strike sets off large secondary explosions. We all heard that that day, suggesting yeah. suggesting the presence of a, a presence of a significant amount of explosives. The New York Times says we gathered photos and videos of the scene taken by journalists and visited the courtyard multiple times. We shared that evidence with three experts. All three agreed that the damage was consistent with a single Hellfire strike and not large secondary explosions. There's one other detail visible in the wreckage. Destroyed plastic containers, identical to the ones that they saw Amadi and his colleagues fill with with water and load into his truck before heading to his home. The military says they never saw them being loaded. The morning after the U.S. drone strike killed Amadi and nine others, the Islamic State did launch rockets at the airport. Amadi had driven through the previous day and using a white Toyota to do so. So that's where the confusion comes from, I guess. The reporting for the New York Times and the Washington Post concludes that the U.S. military struck a car parked inside a multifamily home in Kabul without knowing who the driver was, what he did for a living, or where he lived. And um, a whole bunch of kids got killed. Uh, Nine kids, they think, total. And a bunch of innocents along along with him. It's a nightmare. It's It's a a horror if Trump had did it, we'd be talking about nothing. Oh, but, boy, you know, geez, I hadn't even thought of that. If Trump had done this, oh, my God. The New York God. Times and the WAPO are on it, to their credit, yep. and they're they're running it prominently. Uh, but the echo chamber has no interest in the story. No, I was happy to see that Jonathan Swan of Axios is saying the Pentagon has, 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 has to have explanations for this. Um, I'm not knee-jerk somebody needs to resign over this or whatever, but how low-level authority was given to be able to take out a guy and a whole bunch of innocent kids? At what point did the Pentagon knew know that they screwed up, and were they ever going to tell us? At what point did Joe Biden get informed that we screwed up, and was he ever going to tell us? I find that very troubling. How much pressure... Did the White House put on the Pentagon to blow up somebody? Right, right. To show that we're fighting back. This is just such a pathetic moment. The whole, we have over-the-horizon capabilities. We'll be fine. So, you know, and, and to go back to the beginning of the story, ISIS blew up 13 of our f- finest young people, and they got away with it, and they will get away with it to a large extent. Sure. And our effort to take vengeance killed a bunch of little kids. And a guy who was working with us. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, a guy who does humanitarian aid for the United States. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a that's a heck of a story. I hope Jen Psaki's going to get asked a lot about it today. I would, I would guess so, since it's a New York Times and Washington Post confirmation. I hope the Pentagon gets grilled on it. We got to do better than that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good day. It's not a good look. Ugly. Oh, you combine you combine what it looks like for the world leaving all of those people behind who helped us 
Eh, what are you going to do? They helped us, and now the Taliban knows who they are, and they're probably going to kill them. We leave them behind. And then in retaliation for something, we blow up some dude and a whole bunch of little kids? Yeah. Whoa. Dude who was helping us. Not good. Not good. Well done, Mr. President. So, you ever gotten a parking ticket? Here's a woman suing, saying parking, the the chalk that you use to mark your tires is unconstitutional. Huh. And she's suing the city of San Francisco for $50 million. Well, San Francisco has a legendary parking scam going, or they have for through the years. So I'll Forget about it. Be interested in hearing more about this. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Moderna said they're working on a single shot that's a COVID booster and a flu shot. The Americans heard and were like, throw in some dewormer and you got yourself a deal. Now, now we'll talk. Oh, that stupid story. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, boy. Uh, coming up, some really good stuff. I like the cut of the governor of Nebraska's jib. If Trump doesn't run, hmm. Kind of attractive. I don't know a lot about him. Just saw him on the talk shows over the weekend. We'll play you some of the stuff he had to say about the vaccine mandate, which is unconstitutional in at least two ways and maybe three. Uh, Some stuff from Larry Elder, who might be the next governor of Cal Unicornia, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, So stay with us if you can. I am intrigued by this story. I just came across it. And it is, as it is Monday, my brain is only working at roughly 60% speed. It, it speeds up through the week. I peak on Thursday. <clears throat> then slack off, you know, starting Friday for the weekend. But when a person checks the tires of a parked car for that white stripe of chalk, you know how the, the, the they used to call them meter maids, the, the parking enforcement officer, whatever they are. They come by and they chalk your tire and make a note of when they do it. And then if it's a two-hour zone, and you're still there uh, two and a half hours later, even if the meter's full, they know, wait a minute, this car just refed the meter. They violated the law. You're busted, okay? So we're all familiar with that, right? So that might be on its way out in the Bay Area uh, for a couple reasons, including digital enforcement. But before it goes... There might be a final multi-million dollar legal battle. And again, I've just come across this stuff, and there are plenty of lawyers doing plenty of class action lawsuits that are purely designed to make money and have nothing to do with justice and just drain the coffers of our cities and counties dry, class action lawsuits and all that stuff. But anyway, but let's, let's go into it together and see what we think. Even as cities across the region are switching from that stripe of chalk on the tire to digital enforcement of time zone limits... Uh, a pair of federal lawsuits say the old-fashioned way is a violation of drivers' Fourth Amendment right to be free of unreasonable searches and seizures. In one of the cases filed uh, September 4th, the plaintiff seeks $50 million in class action status after a San Francisco parking enforcement officer wielding chalk on a residential street gave her a $95 ticket. Unlike some in her predicament, she had apparently not spotted the stripe in time to rub it away. 
The city, the suit alleges, systematically places chalk or a similar substance on vehicle tires, quote, without the owner's consent, surreptitiously to obtain information used as the basis for a parking citation. So they're calling the chalk an investigative tool, a a search and or seizure. The second case, filed the same day, interestingly enough, demands $5 million, not $50 million, for class members whose tires were chalked to financially benefit the city. The plaintiff invokes four tickets he received from the city for allegedly exceeding a two-hour limit. Violations cost him 180 bucks. The San Francisco attorney who filed both suits, one guy, hinted in an interview that he may bring more. Um, but if the legal challenges sound like sour grapes, they have a chance of succeeding. That's because both extend from a recent decision by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, which twice ruled in favor of a Michigan woman who racked up 14 parking tickets. Uh, the judge wrote that chalking may constitute an unreasonable search under the Fourth Amendment. He and two other judges rejected the city's argument for exempting an exemption in a lawsuit that's still pending. The Sixth Circuit applies to all sorts of states. It's mushroomed into lawsuits in other communities that may, uh, you know, end up causing the end of that. Um, trial court in San Diego reeled op- uh, ruled opposite, by the way, said it's not a Fourth Amendment violation. It's now headed to the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco. It's an interesting notion, though. I'd have to think about it. All right. All sorts of good stuff to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. So I intended to move on from the whole chalking your tires constitutional question. But the more I look into it, the more interesting it becomes. So you had one court, big court, say it's an illegal search uh, to uh, to chalk your tire and then come back and see if you've rolled or whatever, moved your car. Trial court in San Diego ruled the opposite. Decisions heading to the Ninth Circuit. I guess it was the Sixth Circuit that said, yeah, that's an illegal search. And then they, they talk a little bit in this article in the San Francisco Chronicle about the history of the thing, the technology, and how old the chalking is. And come on, we need to move on anyway. Then they get into this. Many cities now equip parking officers with GPS-enabled license plate scanners and data analytics tools that can flag a parked car that hasn't moved in one or two hours and can confirm whether a tire has rotated at all. Plus, you got license plate scanners and the rest of it. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If putting a little chalk on my tire is an illegal search... How is GPS-enabled license plate scanners, data analytics, digital, what's it, McCallits, that show whether my tire's rotated at all? That's, that's warrantless surveillance, isn't it? Now, okay, then we get into the question of is there an expectation of privacy if you're parked on a public street? And they mentioned that Chillicothe, Ohio, actually has signs up that says, if you're parked here, you uh, consent to having your tires chalked. So... Well, gosh, yeah. License plate scanners, to me, are a constitutional nightmare, but for some reason the courts have been a little slow to to rule the right way. But anyway, uh, moving along. Interesting topic. We'll keep an eye on it. 
So Loudoun County, Virginia has been one of those hotbeds of controversy over critical race theory and the anti-racism garbage, which is actually the most racist thing cooked up since the heyday of the Klan in the early 20th century. Uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, big arguments, school board meetings where they struggled to get 25 people now have a thousand at them arguing over this stuff. The uber woke racist crowd trying to convince uh, concerned parents who don't want their kids indoctrinated into Marxist, Marxist philosophies that they're the racists. Bunch of money is now pouring in, um, and uh, the the folks who are on my side of the argument uh, spent a bunch of money to buy ads that they ran during the NFL kickoff game there in the Washington area. It's Washington football team territory. Don't care, dare call them the Redskins. Michael, hit us with the ad uh, clip thirty. Loudoun County, Virginia, spent nearly half a million to develop a divisive curriculum promoted by political activists. When parents spoke up, officials threatened to silence them. Then, a teacher was put on leave for his religious beliefs. Others encouraged to turn in colleagues. And now, powerful education unions are using dirty political campaign tactics to go after parents. Suppression, political activism, censorship. Let's get politics out of the classroom. Join us. That's good stuff. It's a little light on specifics to me. Uh, people need to know what they're looking for. They need to know what they ought to be mad about and why. So I'd like to see a more education-oriented approach to that. But uh, I still appreciate the the parents putting their money where their mouth is. Hell, I, I'd chip into that. So there was a big uh, rally in Loudoun County uh, about this stuff. And Ben Carson, who you may recall from... Uh, back in 2016, when he ran for the Republican nomination, he grew up penniless, nothing in the projects, uh, violent neighborhood, without a dad. And he, through his intelligence and hard work, became a highly respected brain surgeon, a great American success story, because he believes, as a young black man, nobody was going to hold him down. He had that spirit. And I tell you what, I don't care what color you are, what age you are, what sex you are. If you have that spirit, you will succeed. You will be a winner. You will get, uh, if not exactly what you're looking for, you'll get a good fat share of the American dream, which is why I so despise a lot of the critical race theory, anti-racism thing. They are utterly dedicated to convincing people, particularly people of color, that they have no chance of succeeding. It's insidious. It's like drinking poison. But anyway, Ben Carson was at one of the uh, rallies in Loudoun, Loudoun County, Virginia, and he spoke. Let's start with 34, Michael. When I look at CRT and things like the 1619 Project, it sickens me, quite frankly, because, you know, they are trying to tell people that the most important factor in your life in terms of determining how your life is going to go are your external physical characteristics over which you have no control and putting aside the thing that you do have control of which is your character which is what we really should be developing and the thing that we should be teaching people to evaluate people. And that's what Martin Luther King was saying. He dreamed of a day when we would evaluate people on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. We are going just the opposite direction here. 
Right. Instead of instead of spending precious classroom time developing kids' uh, characters, helping them understand how important hard work is and honesty and stick to itiveness and all those things, we're dismissing those qualities as white. Those are white qualities, white supremacist quality qualities. God, that is so ugly and so racist. Uh, ben Carson goes on. They're trying to say that we are somehow unique as a country because we had slavery. <laughs> what a bunch of crap. You know, I mean, think about this. Slavery has been a part of humanity since history has recorded humanity's activities. So there are also more slaves in America today than there were in 1863 when the Emancipation Proclamation was put forth. Why don't we care about human trafficking and those people whose lives are being destroyed? That's uh, asked as a rhetorical-ish question. The answer is obviously because I can't profit from that. I can't get more power. I can't seize power over a university or a governmental body or whatever by fighting human trafficking today. I can seize power by exploiting white guilt, though. So that's the answer to that rhetorical question. Uh, Final clip from Ben Carson. Tremendous progress has been made, and this critical race theory is trying to erase that progress and send us back in the other direction. And we cannot allow that to happen. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, all of our people have come to this country from different places. All of our ancestors came. You know, some came voluntarily, some came involuntarily. But guess what? We're all Americans. This is now our country. This is where we live. Yeah, to the extent people become aware of the insidious philosophy of Ibram Kendi and the rest of them, the so-called anti-racism thing, people are against it. I mean, in droves and droves. It happens to be that the uh, educated, you know, suburban white gal cabal is in charge of education because the the colleges, the, the classrooms, the uh, principalships and administrative uh, world of education are way, way overpopulated by, you know, women with master's degrees um, and guys, too, gals. I'm not trying to make this a uh, sex thing or a gender thing because it's not. Um, But they tend to be the group most likely to fall for that argument, and they are way disproportionately represented in in those places. And so they wield so much power. I mean, it's because they are indoctrinating the future teachers and administrators and kids. Um, If it were just a question of of, of bulk, of uh, what the majority thinks, this stuff would never get anywhere. But they are there in the indoctrination factories of government schools. I like the idea of not calling them public schools anymore. They're government schools. It's a subtle difference, but an important one. And I think you can understand why. Uh, but you do have to fight against this stuff. It's absolutely awful. We were talking about this a little earlier. Kendi's idea that there's going to be a, a, a national department of anti-racism. Um, and, and there will be a, a panel appointed to decide 
who can speak and who can't based on how racist they are. The very idea that you would be so either naive or power hungry that you would believe those wise and benevolent angels could be found to be trusted with that much power. I mean, seriously, what colors the sky in your world? Have you ever bumped up against humanity? We're awful. Almost all of us are awful. And those of us who aren't awful, you give them enough power, they become awful. So, yeah, you got to stamp this stuff out however you can, wherever you can, my friends, uh, as energetically as you can. Lord knows we're trying. All right, one more segment. We're going to try to end strong. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. But it should be a personal health care choice. This is not something that the government should mandate. And somebody shouldn't have to make the choice between keeping their job and getting a jab in the arm. I mean, it's just wrong. I've talked to people, number, a number of people, who have told me if they made me take the vaccine, I'm just going to be fired. I'm not going to do it. That's Governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, who uh, made the rounds yesterday. I know he was on Fox uh, News Sunday there with uh, Chris Wallace. Um, and I was impressed by the guy. He had that sort of reasonable, you know, conservative, but not red meat, chucking bomb thrower type conservative uh, that appeals to middle America. Um, uh, interestingly enough, Ron DeSantis was in Nebraska making a speech right next door to Iowa, probably not coincidentally. Uh, and we'll get to DeSantis in a minute. But here's a little more of what uh, Governor Ricketts said in 44. Parents in your state must comply with and do comply with routinely, why is it that they're not so objectionable and such a violation of personal freedom, but Biden's vaccine mandates are? Well, for all those that you just listed, there's a long history that parents have had the opportunity to see how those things have been implemented. And there's still a lot of people out there who don't know what to trust. And in fact, this is really an outcome of what the CDC has done because they flip-flopped on so many issues, whether it's masks or whether you have to mask after being vaccinated and so forth. There's just a lot of people out there who don't know who to trust right now. And so by having the government force it on, you're not building the trust where we have the trust with those other vaccines. This is a process that's going to take time to bring people along, and that's why it should be a personal choice and not something mandated by the government. I thought that was a legit question. Look, there are all sorts of vaccines required for kids to go to school. Why Why not this one? I thought he handled that really, really well. Um, and then finally, uh, 45. This is an egregious overreach of federal authority. And as we see what these rules are, we will be able to know exactly how we will be able to challenge them in court. I have heard from so many workers, so many small businesses who say this is just not going to be something they can handle. Uh, so many people have told me they're just going to be fired if they're forced to take the vaccine. This is really going to create huge problems for our, our small businesses and for our American workers. And again, you shouldn't have to make the choice of keeping your job or getting a jab in the arm. Again, Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, if Trump doesn't run, DeSantis obviously is uh, toward the front of the line. Chris Christie among people who might go for the Republican nomination. But uh, I've long said... You know, if we could, like, calm down for a while and have, like, a moderate Republican, a moderate Democrat run and uh, 
you know, just talk sense to people and talk a little bit about policy, a little less tribal, whipping up uh, everybody to hate each other. Because, you know, as, as vehemently as I disagree with a lot of the stuff that comes from the left, I just don't think it's healthy for the country to hate each other. I mean, we can disagree and we can disagree strongly, but the whole, and, and I know the left does this like crazy, demonizing uh, Republicans. Most conservatives think Democrats are misguided, uh, or liberals are misguided. Most liberals think conservatives are evil. That's no way to run a country, so I wouldn't mind seeing the rhetoric dialed down a little bit. <clears throat> he got to, Governor Ricketts got to the, the key question there, because, you know, the interview was mostly about uh, why isn't, why do you think people don't want the vaccine, and isn't it a good idea to get it? But that's that's not the question. Joe Biden is, again, you know, thumbing his nose at the Constitution. That's the question. It's too often we jump to, whether the policy is something we want, whether the policy is something we're rooting for, as opposed to, does the government even get to do that? Because we got to, that's, that's the most important thing of all, limiting the government. The folks at Cato have a pretty good piece. It's a little egg-headed and scholarly about all the ways the Biden vaccine mandate is uh, probably unconstitutional. They call it a constitutional triple threat. First, there's a separation of powers issue in the sweeping new regula- regulation. It's being imposed by presidential diktat with related claims about the proper scope of OSHA's authority, whether Congress can even delegate such a broad power to the executive branch. Furthermore, there's an administrative law claim about whether this rule is arbitrary and capricious, whether it was weighed properly, whether the it was given the, the process that is required to institute a sort of thing. Was enough, enough care given the science regarding viral spread and harm, the threat to the vaccinated population from the unvaccinated, whether those with natural immunity, should be included or not. Did anybody take any time with this and figure out how to ta- tailor the law in a way that's not overly, you know, onerous and was fair at all concerned? Well, obviously, no. It just kind of came out of a, a meeting in the White House and was announced the next day. Second, even if the executive branch is permissibly interpreting the relative federal laws, writes Cato, uh, these kinds of impositions are hardly a regulation of interstate commerce. The whole Obamacare thing taught us you can't force people to buy insurance and call it interstate commerce. That's crazy. Just as you can't say to, you know, Joe's Hardware in, you know, western Kansas, you got to insist everybody who works at your warehouse gets jabbed. That's interstate commerce. It's not. It's crazy. It's a stretch. Third, forcing private businesses to do the government's dirty work isn't a proper means of effectuating the goal of limiting the pandemic. As uh, the court ruled in the first Obamacare lawsuit, they found no independent power to compel non-commercial interstate activities part of a larger regulatory scheme. Uh, what... Uh, has been called commandeering the people. The federal government can't command businesses to do what the Constitution tells them they can't do, in short. On the other hand, counterpoint to all this is Biden and company knew this. They're just showing their base that, hey, we're out there violating the Constitution for you, trying to get the stupid Trump voters to fall in line. find that theme music weird and troubling let's get a final thought from everybody on the crowd i'm your host joe getty 
Uh, let's start with the man in the control room pressing the buttons, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael? You know what a happy marriage is? It, it's what I did over this past weekend. I watched two NFL games, and my wife tolerated it, and she kind of watched. Then she put on two Hallmark movies, and I sat there and I watched. So, Wow. Wow. Everybody giving a little. Yep. How about that? Were you allowed to, like, flip through a magazine or a book or anything during yeah, the movies? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, fair enough. That's good. Uh, young Alex is our producer. Alex, a final thought? Yeah, I know the NFL is not everybody's cup of tea, but I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Trevor Lawrence, the new quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, lost his first regular season game in his life. He never lost in high school, college, Pop Warner, doesn't matter. He never lost in the regular season, lost his first one yesterday. I think it's wild. Did he retire? No, he just lost. (laughs) (laughs) Did he say, I'll never play again? I don't like this losing He called his mother and asked for a peewee trophy to remember the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jack has run off to deal with family issues. Uh, Armstrong and Giddy wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. If you ever miss a segment of the show, go to whatever podcast platform you like, or you can get a link at armstrongandgetty.com. You can pick up some swag while you're there. The Heather Gray t-shirts with the red and blue logo, very popular. Email us if there's something we ought to be talking about. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. Yeah, get out of you, Adios, mofo. So it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. It's kind of bogus. It's a wild animal. Joey, baby. Yes, we drank beer. I tell you what, you got a a tiger and two monkeys, you got a case of beer, you got a party. (laughs) (laughs) Experts tell me all bloody hell is going to break loose. Okay. Then we'll bring this fool in. Your name's not but 3000, you yo-ho. On that high note, thank you all very much.